This is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. This week, we're joined by veteran fly fishing anglers John Grosta and Ben Stone to talk about saltwater fly fishing and fly tying. John has been fly fishing for over 40 years and moved to Florida 12 years ago to dive into saltwater fly fishing scene. John has caught 33 different species on of fish on the fly, everything from bluegill to barramundi, under his belt. It's safe to say you might know a little bit about what he's doing, so turn the volume up and get ready to crash course and fly and fishing on the fly. So John, go ahead and <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to f- thank you guys for inviting us out. Well, it's a you know, fantastic honor to talk with other fly fishermen and, and guys that like to tie flies, catch fish, and tell stories. And uh, most of the stories that Ben and I like to talk about are, you know, true, true stuff, dispel myths. Um, I think fly fishing is fantastic. I wish more guys would do it. Um, I've got a saying, if it ain't a two-hander, I'm not going to use it. And, you know, my good friend Ben here, he's a prime example of that. And I think that the uh, saltwater fly fishing community um, could really band together and, and promote all the different species. I mean, you know, where can you go when, say, you go fishing on the beach and you're catching ladyfish, ribbon fish. Then you move out and you hook into... Uh, Jack Carvals and tarpon in the canals in, in shallow waters. You can go wading in a spot and hook into six to ten different species of fish in one day. I mean, like like catching largemouth bass on a fly rod is just, it, it's crazy. You got top water. I mean, you got subsurface. I mean, you name it, whatever you want to throw out there. I mean, look at the long nose gar. You know, you take a piece of paracord and pull this, pull the sheath off of it, and then tie it on your on your monofilament and brush it out with a, with a, with, with like your wife's comb or something, so don't get in trouble with her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but but just to be able to sit there and tie something on a on a hook, and fool a fish, and catch it and release it on your own presentation, I think that's the greatest thing going. So, I know for me. What really made me want to get into fly fishing is the topwater bite. I love nothing more than being able to fish topwater, whether it's throwing frogs for bass, uh, you got, you know, any topwater for saltwater, all that stuff. John, what made you want to undertake learning how to fly fish? I would have to say, from growing up in New York, catching bluegills and bass on a fly rod, especially on a tiny little rubber leg popper, that's got a couple of little feathers out the back, you know, like tied on like a number four, number six, and you're just chucking it out there, not knowing how to cast as a kid. And when you watch a fish blow up on it, like you say, that's the, the most fantastic thing you could ever see. Yeah. And what then, age was, did you throw your first fly rod? I had to be about uh, nine or ten. Now, um, <laughs> Was it your father or, you know, somebody close to you that got it, you into fly fishing? My, grandf- my grandfather seen? had this old Shakespeare 
metal furl fiberglass fly rod that was as stiff as a as a pole vault at the Olympics, <laughs> and he had one of those uh, retractable reels that you you hit the button and it would uh, wrap the line on. You know, mm -hmm. you'd tighten the string. That was my first exposure to it. Then after that, he got me a book uh, that was uh, written by Lefty Cray. Then a few years later, Flip Pallet came out with the Walker's K uh fishing show was it walker k chronicles you know where it used to show him driving down to the keys on his harley mm -hmm. when i saw guys fly fishing in salt water up in new york i was like oh my god i gotta do it and i was hoping that one day i could get down here so then luckily enough i was able to move down here so everything that i've ever been able to do on a fly rod i've hit, i've made it happen but when i picked up that two-handed fly rod Oh, man. So did you move down here just for fly fishing? No. I had family down in the villages uh, in Wildwood. So after a couple of uh, health scares for me, we moved down here. Okay. Okay. So I was able to you know get through that stuff and get back on track, and I haven't looked back since. Like, you know, the warm weather suits me. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can fish all year round. I mean, you know, Ben's my number one fishing buddy. And, you know. <laughs> he and waves from the opposite yeah. side of the table. He's got good taste in football, too. He's got him Gators hat on. There you I go. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but like I say, I think uh, to watch a fish chase a fly or a plug or a popper and especially if you're elevated like up on the jetty at sebastian inlet holy cow when ben goes to throw and you can see his fly in the water and you see that big shadowy profile come after mm -hmm. it holy cow it gets your heart pumping like there's no tomorrow yeah that's why i got into like flats fishing and poling and stuff yep. like that is to actually yeah. read it more john cave got me into flats fishing the most and poling and all that kind of stuff because of the water reading classes mm -hmm. and all that stuff that i had to take with them oh yeah i think th i think that the, the 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 possibilities are endless down here for fly fishing oh absolutely uh so you've been fly fishing all these years when did you start tying your own flies and what made you want to start tying your own flies i didn't start tying you know like really hardcore until probably 13 years ago you know i would tie something you know um in, in the living room and that, but up until the last few years, I really haven't been doing a lot of tying. You know, now I'm on the Norvice team uh, for tying flies, and then um, everything I tie is basically going to be relative to how I can fish my 15-foot two-handed fly rod. And I've got things tied up as long as, you know, 22 inches from some wig hair to make an eel pattern fly, <laughs> which is goofy as that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> You ask, Ben will tell you, we've been in his boat in Lake Apopka, and I wanted to field test, you know, number one, can I cast a spay rod sitting down in a boat? Yeah, I can. Can I throw, you know, 22-inch long fly, you know, over 100 feet? Yeah, I can do all that, and so can he, all right? But it's interesting to be able to sit there and look at different materials and figure out a way of putting it on a hook and catching fish. So several months ago, I was at the dollar store, saw this pen that had all this flash on it, and I'm shopping with my girlfriend, Sandra, and I was like, oh! And, <laughs> and I grabbed it. 
Okay. Day later, Ben and I go fishing and I wanted something to increase my hookups on tarpon and fish in brackish water. So I was like, well, this particular flash, like, like, like flashaboo type stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. For whatever reason, this particular stuff on a pen at the dollar, at the dollar general is some of the best flash I ever tied with. So I called this little fly, uh, I call it the Grasta Nugget, okay? And in a bright sunny day in brackish water, you go and chuck this little fly in a size one and it pops like a light bulb. I mean, the day that we tested it, I had Mayan siglets hitting it like it was a hockey puck on an air <laughs> hockey table, okay? <laughs> Hooked into tarpon. Since then, I've got 13 species on it. I even gave two or three of them to Bob Clouser when I ran into him and his girlfriend, Jackie, and then he gave me some of his new flies. So and how many of these pens did you end up buying? Let me tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> Box talk. I drove all the way from Winter Garden, Okoy, Claremont, all the way out to Longwood, and I probably bought 35 of those pens <laughs> and I've got them stockpiled in a bag and he's telling you the truth. Okay. But for whatever reason, some of that, uh, um, crystal flash that you get on your Christmas decorations makes for great, uh, flies. If you want to get something to pop in the water and you can add it to marabou, you can add it to your bucktail. Okay. Um, I'm real big on flash, and, and, and Ben will tell you that as well. So then I created a, a minnow pattern called the shiner, okay, you know, and, you know, the other thing is it catches fish, okay? So um, when you guys went out there to Lake Apopka and you're throwing these 10-inch long wig-haired eels mm -hmm. and stuff, um, are both you guys throwing at the same time, or have you guys both thrown out of the same boat at the same time, or...? Because I'm used to the flats fishing where we're polling, where you have a guy that's polling and sighting, and then the polar has a conventional rod. So so how we use a, a spay rod in a bass boat or a john boat is Ben will be throwing as a right-hander, okay? When I'm on the other end of the boat, I switch my, my casting style to left-handed, so that way he's not going to get tattooed with a three-aught size hook Ooh. moving at 200 miles an hour, and neither am I. So we, the two of us in the last six months have figured out how can we take, you know, 15-foot fly rods and catch bass? How can we take them into these little canals where guys are having trouble with a nine-foot rod and we're catching fish? And then when we talk about casting into the wind, let me tell you something. There's been days where we've casted in the 15, 20 mile an hour winds. Guys can barely get, what, 25, 30 feet? And we're out 80, 90 feet. You See, know? you're over here talking about casting in 15, 20 mile an hour winds, and I'm over here still tattooing myself with my own fly. Yeah. <laughs> all, I can, all I can tell you is this. I, I had a really good casting instructor in New York named Kevin Cram, and... Um, I grew up fishing like in the Pulaski Rivers, the St. Lawrence Rivers, Lake Ontario, a lot of the smaller bodies of water like you have down here um, in Florida. And the nicest thing that I learned from him was how to become a better caster. 
And when you see Ben or myself throw that two-handed fly rod, you know, you can see that the basic fundamentals are mastered. And like on a windy day, I can take a, say a 650 grain shooting head with a 15 foot leader and a 10 inch fly and still throw it in 15, 20 mile an hour wind. That's impressive. Okay. But it's not when you look at the fact that the rod's 15 feet, it's an ultra fast action rod. I'm putting two hands into my cast. I've got my fundamentals already mastered. So when I go to make that cast into the wind, I've already got like plenty of line out the tip of the rod. And then when you guys go in like this, as you go on your forward cast, that rod does all the work for you. And, you know, Ben and I are not kids. We're in our 50s. But I guarantee you, we'll fish from 6 o'clock in the morning to as late as 6 or 7 at night. We've made over 2,000 casts in a day. And I think part of the reason that we're able to do that is because, number one, the rod and the equipment do all the work. Okay, we master the basic fundamentals. We tie our own leaders. We don't buy none of that knotless, tapered leader, you know, nonsense stuff. <laughs> Learn to tie your own freaking leaders. Okay, I'm an old school kind of guy. That's how I was taught. And w with some of these younger guys, they just they're looking for like that shortcut. And for what we do with the two hand fly rod, there is no shortcut. But I guarantee you, if you give it a chance. The conditions that you normally have trouble with with a 9 and a 10-foot fly rod, we don't run into those obstacles that you guys run into. And that's why we have an increased level of success, not only in freshwater, but especially in the saltwater. So we keep talking about this two-handed fly rod, and it's called a spay rod, correct? Correct. Now, here's, here's the clarification on that. Spay is a form of casting that was developed uh, in the Spay River in Scotland where you didn't have any room behind you to cast. So what they did is these two-handed rods were anywhere from 15 feet to 20 feet long. You had to be like a lumberjack to use one, okay, because they were really heavy. Fast forward to today, Sage makes a, an igniter series and an older method series where your 15-foot fly rod is literally nine, nine and five-eight ounces in weight. You know, super light. The reels are lighter and all that. And then... Um, with the lines, the lines are different right now, okay? But we keep things simple. 12 weight forward float and tarpon line on a 9 or 10 weight rod is pretty much all you need. You're going to throw the whole 105 feet. If you throw a 10 or a 15-foot leader to it with big 6, 10-inch flies, you'll be able to throw that whole thing effortlessly and catch fish. So why do you choose a two-handed spay rod over a regular fly rod? I would have to say that the first time I saw somebody use a two-handed fly rod, I was like, I got to do that. I was motivated and compelled to do that. And in the last year and a half of going balls to the wall and getting out on the water almost every day, I've met my, my, my good friend Ben Stone and almost every core member of the Muddy River Fly Fishing Group. Because all of a sudden, I got people coming up to me going, holy crap, that guy's using, like, the longest fly rod I've ever seen. You know, I got to go talk to him, okay? And I think that's really interesting, okay? Just like how we're talking right now. If it wasn't for me throwing a spay rod and big flies, we wouldn't be sitting here at the table talking about fly fishing and, 
in in salt water and fresh water. You know what I mean? So to me, the two-handed fly rod suits my personality. You know, Ben and I are the first guys out of the truck. We're on the water. You know, we're going to fish all day. You know, uh, he's the kind of guy that, you know, he'll be on that pier at Sebastian Inlet all day long, throwing line, catching snook. Sometimes we're guys with live bait and, and conventional tackle aren't catching anything, and he'll hook five, five, six fish in a row. We go tarpon fishing out in Merritt Island. There's days where he's caught like three big 36-inch-plus length tarpon, one right after another, where everybody else is having a hard time. But then there's days where I fished with all these guys, and I've been able to catch seven species on that two-handed fly rod. So th the cool thing about that is, like you said, guys have trouble throwing in 20-mile-an-hour wind. We don't have that problem, okay? Um, if we're thrown onto the beach, you know, we're going to cast significantly farther than a 9-footer, okay? And we're basically trying to tell people that don't listen to some salmon dude in Washington. If he doesn't live down here in Florida and he's never fished off the jetty and he's never fished in the beach for snook and tarpon, then his opinion is only based on the information that he reads and, and repeats like a parrot, okay? Where we've taken all of that information and we've gone out on the water and go, okay, this doesn't work, okay? Um, here's an example of gear. I don't like using monofilament running line because when you go to pull the line off the water and make a cast, it slips through your fingers while you're pinching it on the, on the rod of the, the cork of the rod. So I had a custom rod made and had all the cork removed, and I used the EVA foam, so now I don't have that problem, okay? A lot of stuff that guys were telling me years ago, oh, well, go ahead and peripoke and go ahead and snap tea cast. I mean, we don't peripoke and snap tea nothing. We just overhead, we use it, we overhead cast, okay? And like I say, when you watch Ben throw 115 feet of line and you're like literally 70 yards away and you're watching it and you can see how big the fly he's chucking, I think that's a pretty unique uh, thing to see somebody fish with. Absolutely. So when you guys are going out there and fishing, you're talking about a lot of the snook fishing and, you know, tarpon and all that kind of stuff. I know as my brother being a huge conventional fisherman – my father back in the day being a conventional fisherman they used to get really excited and pumped up about opening day of snook season they would go down to sebastian they were the yahoos on the boat that were in bad weather in the middle of the current rip and everything while people are trying to fish in the jetty fish off of boats and stuff do you guys as fly fishermen get excited about that kind of stuff because i know that if you look at a fly fisherman, a lot of fly fishermen have a better take on like conservation. They fish throughout the year and for whatever, and a lot of fly fishermen are just only catch and release. Well, for right now, up until snook, snook season was open, we would be catch and release, okay? I think, uh, would you keep one snook this season? I, I was brought up, I hunt, I fish. If I catch fish and it's legal, I'm mm -hmm. going to keep it. I'm gonna eat it. Yep. I'd, yep. Rather, I'd rather catch something out in the out in the wild than buy it in the store. Absolutely. That's just how I am. Yep. And and the reason that we like going to Sebastian Inlet, regardless of how many people are in a boat and how many fish are in the water and the conditions, is because we know for a fact 
that sooner or later one of us is going to hook into a big fish, okay? And I think as fly fishermen, okay, it is him, okay? <laughs> With him and his little fluffy fly thing looks like a little rat. But it I'm it, tell it you does. What. It looks like a like a dog toy rat. What, what, did you make that out of a piece of carpet? <laughs> Stuff I found online. Looks like yeah. something that my wife's cattle play with. What do you and call that? That's the fluffy fly. That's what I call it. We'll That's post a picture of that to our to our page so you guys can see. Uh, it, it looks like a piece of squirrel tail. Almost. We were just talking earlier about giving them some of our squirrel tails. You know, there's a... Uh, I can't think of the name of the company. They'll actually buy squirrel tails off of you for making rooster tails. I heard that. Yeah. I think uh, Owens Bait and Tackle did that for a while. Mets? Maybe? Yeah, Meps, Meps did that for the longest time. Yeah. Or not Owens, um, Bitters Bait and Tackle bought uh, hide from you and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff to make their stuff. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about this fly right here is that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you tied this for bass, right, initially? And all of a sudden, we start catching more bass. So then... What the? What prompted you to throw this out at Sebastian one day? I don't know, like size of the fingerling mullet, and then I took one out of my box. Said I'll try it. First cast, I had what 90 foot of my line in my stripping basket. Fish blew up on it on the rocks, and that 90 foot was gone in three seconds and broke me off. So yeah. I started just tying them. Whew. Yeah, I've seen. What he just described, I've seen it several times happen to him. So it's not a question if we get a big snook onto the beach, it's a question of when. And I think that's probably one of the most exciting things that uh, that, that motivates us to go out there, is especially when he throws, and I can see that fly being stripped in the water with my polarized glasses, and we're on top of the jetty, and you can see the fish. That's a fantastic thing. But this right here doesn't cost hardly anything to make. And, and you've hooked in the – yeah, he calls it the $10 fly. Anybody wants it, you contact Ben Stone at benstonesfluffyflies.com. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what I admire about, about his ability to look at the conditions and the species of fish, okay, and we've tried traditional patterns out there, and they don't work. And then some purist is going to sit there and say, well, you just ain't stripping it right. Hey, you know what? Um, can, can I say suck a fat one? Uh, yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> all right. Suck a fat one, okay? Because we've used different patterns out there that are not traditional snook flies, and we're catching fish, Okay. I mean, if it's working, I mean, you can't knock it. No, you can't. You can't. How can you knock something where I've seen him out there hook into five snook in a row, land every single one, hook into another five or six that were blowing up on this thing? Now, that is such a good fly, and that is your predominant fly that you go with. How many do you take out there? Is there any way when you catch all these snooks on these flies that you can do, like, slight repairs to them while you're on the water? I have not had to repair one. So they're pretty durable. Yes. Oh, very durable. The Grasta Nugget that I came up with um, has 165 ladyfish in a row on it. 
over Whew. 100 over 100 tarpon on it uh bass and then ben will tell you we were fishing in a pond and i had snapping or were they soft shell turtles big soft shell turtles where it looked like godzilla swimming through the ocean behind it <laughs> and i'm sitting there going what the heck is that is that a bat it's not a bass and he's like it's a turtle and sure <laughs> enough i got a turtle on this goofy thing and it's from that same uh golden flash from the dollar general pen okay <laughs> let me tell you what them soft shell turtles they'll put up a pretty dang good fight oh, yeah. especially on a 15-foot fly rod let me tell you it was it was a lot actually did you actually land the turtle on that? i did because <laughs> i've had some turtles the size of a dishpan on a bait caster and they they strip some line oh yeah oh yeah so oh what's the furthest you can cast accurately with a spay rod <clears throat> Would a big, say, six-inch EP fiber fly or, like, say, what one of Ben's uh, fluffy flies, um, I can probably go about 130 to 140 feet. That's pretty good. Off the top of the jetty. Yeah. And that's what a, you know, 650-grain shooting head, probably a 12- to 14-foot leader, and then uh, 100 feet of running line. If it's a weight forward floating line, like a tarpon line in a 12 weight, those are usually 105 feet, and I don't have an issue throwing that either. Now, you guys talk about uh, fishing out of the jetty and the surf and shore banks and stuff like that. You've talked a little bit about the boat fishing and stuff like that. Do you prefer to fish from shore or from a boat and why? Um, I don't really mind fishing from a boat, okay? Um, we've taken his boat out several times and used those spay rods and, you know, we, we've been able to make good casts, pull fish out of the water. Um, I think for a shore fisherman on foot, you know, stripping basket, which will help you with your line management. It'll keep it from getting tangled. It'll help you throw farther and whatnot. Um, and a sling pack to keep your flies and stuff. I mean, you can cover way much more water from shore. You, you're going to out-throw any nine-foot fly rod guy around. We've been out to Pine Island fishing for tarpon on a windy day, which typically that spot is, is you know, a hard place to fish. And there's guys that they're trying to double haul into, what, 10, 15-mile-an-hour winds, and they're barely getting 40 feet, and we're doubling that distance. Um, you know, using an ultra-fast-action spay rod like I, like I use, man, I thought I could throw far before. Now it's like the 140 feet. If I keep going at the momentum I got going right now with a new shooting head, a new running line, you know, I could probably foresee in the near future throwing 150 feet with that setup. Now, yeah. John Cave, when I was taking his fly throwing class back when I was younger, he talked about you are not a true fly fisherman until you leave all the conventional stuff at home. Do you agree with that, or do you oh, keep one in the boat every yeah. now and then? If you're a freaking fly guy and you fish with me, if you bring a freaking spinning rod, so help me God, I better not know about it, or I'll take that freaking thing and throw it in the ocean. <laughs> okay? I'm not kidding you. Okay? If you want to be a good fly guy, you need to cast with your left and right hand. Okay? If you want to be a good two-handed fly rod guy, you need to practice, 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 practice. Guys would always ask me, well, how do you throw like Ben, and, and how do you throw like yourself? Get your butt out there and start making a 1,000 casts a week, okay? 
with somebody that can help you right off the get-go. How many fly guys that you and I know, they're like, oh, I'm going to watch this guy on YouTube, and then I'll become a better caster. Listen, buddy, it don't work like that, okay? Ben has only been fly fishing with a two-hand fly rod for six months. This dude looks like he's been thrown for 20 years, okay? We talked about the rod, uh, the relationship to the reel, balancing the rod out, how much line do you need out the tip of your rod, what kind of cast can you do um, is, is, is using a two-hander. And basically all we're doing is we're using that two-handed fly rod as if it's a single-handed fly rod. We're not, all we're doing is like some roll casts and then like a modified roll cast, okay? So when I'm on the pier, I'll do a roll cast with my spay rod, which will generally have... 50, 60 feet in line, as that cast is going in motion, I come back behind the top of my head for a back cast, and as all of that is going in, in momentum, I'm loading the rod to where I make one forward cast with one back false cast, and, and I'm over 120 feet. Yeah, that's what... You I, know, effortlessly. That's what I was taught, is if you're throwing, if you make more than two to three backs and you're not properly thrown right oh well here's an example when guys are fishing with a two-handed rod okay say you're using a 15-foot rod they're stripping the fly line all the way to the leader okay and then next thing you know it you're going one two three four five six six to seven false casts if you time yourself you're wasting eight to nine seconds per cast, all right? When you see Ben and I fish with the two-handed fly rods, our flies spend more time in the water fishing, trying to catch fish, than they do up in the air looking pretty like we're at a casting competition, okay? And then, you know, going back to casting, okay? You have to set up your, your rod and your reel and your fly as if you're going to fish, okay? So a lot of times I'll go on my day off to a place by my house and I'll work on my casting with a fly that I'm going to take to Sebastian Inlet and try and catch snook with. And I want to look at how my leader is straightening out. I want to see if my fly is going to follow up on the hook from my cast. And I want to hone my fundamentals so that when I'm out there, all I have to do is cast and then grab the fly line and start stripping. Now, when you guys are casting, you're talking about these 140-foot cast. Now, when you guys are stripping the fly in and you're working it how close do you guys get that fly to you before you decide okay it's time to throw again okay so if we're fishing up on top of the jetty we're approximately 20 feet above the water right about 20 25 feet okay so you got you're, you're fishing over the railing all right the rod tip goes past the rocks typically depending on the spot you're fishing in if i'm stripping my fly line in I'll strip it in till maybe 40, 50 feet, okay? Now, Ben will strip in more fly line because he's trying to catch the snook at the bottom of the rocks there, okay? So as the water is pushing your fly into the rocks, it moves away from the rocks, and it pulls your fly back out there. Usually when that fly gets pulled back away from the rocks is when they come up and whack it, okay? So a lot of times we won't pull up a lot of that line. We'll leave it out the tip of the rod and just pick it up and kind of move the fly back into the water. 
Now, I like covering water, so if he's fishing like that, I'll be the one making the 140-foot cast because with the polarized glasses, a lot of times I can see that fly coming in the water so I can figure out if I'm going to be able to hook fish over here as opposed to what he's doing. But typically, if you're catching fish far away from the rocks, out like onto the beach, the easiest thing you can do is, is just to leave some of that line out the tip. When you feel the weight change on the tip of the rod, that's when you're going to pick it up on your back cast and go on a forward cast. And if you get into that habit, you'll reduce your false casts in the air. Your fly spends more time in the water. And the next thing you know it, you'll be hooking up onto more fish. But, like, yeah, you bring a freaking spinning rod with me and a two-hander, <laughs> man, I'm, you know, and Ben will do it, okay? But he also catches fish on the two-hander. So, like, he doesn't need to improve on his skill level in his casting or his ability to catch fish, okay? But if you're one of these guys that, and I know many of them, you come out and fish with me and, and you're working on your casts and you're having trouble casting the wind, what the hell were you doing all week long before you came out to fish with us? You 30 minutes a day times seven days is what 210 minutes okay you know uh, you guys know you're in the military okay you got 24 hours in the day 1440 minutes in a 24-hour time period you mean tell me you can't take 30 minutes and work on your casting say monday you work on your casting tuesday you work on your knot tying wednesday you're tying flies okay the thursday you go out and, and you're chucking your new patterns into the water Okay, and then when you get together with your boys to go fishing, then you can start watching what your buddy's doing. I've seen Ben do stuff where I'm looking at that going, you know what? If I change my leader, I could either make that better or I'm going to sit there and fish like what he just did. The whole reason to his success for catching snook is he's created a method and a psychology using a two-handed fly rod that hasn't been done before over at Sebastian on the rocks. So he, how do you, how do you approach casting in the wind? Casting in the wind, you either do it or you stay home. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, you can sit there and, and struggle with it. And here's where guys struggle with their casting in the wind. Number one, their basic fundamentals aren't developed. Number two, they, they don't have enough line out the tip of the rod. Number three, they don't know how to double haul, okay? This is not a double haul. <laughs> okay. We got to work on that video aspect right. because that, because that facial I'm, expression right there was, I'm gonna was worth it. Yeah, because I'm going to tell you something right now. Guys that typically say, oh, I can double haul, this is how the double haul is supposed to be done, all right? Your rod tip literally your arm is extended over the top of your head your left hand is like literally by by your right hand as you're coming down to go forward you're pulling with that left hand so when you pull the length of fly line you're looking to pull over three to four feet of fly line as you come through your forward cast on your double haul if anybody thinks that they're a badass doing a double haul you need to look at Tim Rajeff from Echo Fly Fishing, okay? The guy was a former casting champion. This guy pulls his fly line so hard when you watch him do a double haul. And by the way, he'll throw over 180 feet Jeez. on a, like an eight-weight like eight rod, okay? But when he's pulling down with that left hand, 
you're looking at the rod going, oh, my God, the, the guides are going to come out because he's pulling down so hard. These guys that you typically see, like on some of the YouTube channels and... <laughs> you guys are missing this face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that if, if you're that kind of fly fisherman, I will dog you all day long. Okay? Because what you're doing is you're emulating what you saw somebody else doing. You don't understand the psychology or the fundamentals on how to get that cast out there. You look at guys like uh, uh, David Olson and Cass Summers, very famous fly fishermen down here in the state of Florida in Orlando area. Um, you know, they'll take an eight-weight fly rod or an 11-weight fly rod, and, you know, uh, especially the eight-weight, the top gun competitions, they're, hon they're throwing 157 feet on an eight-weight, okay? Uh, the 11-weight competition, these guys are throwing 100, Cass won it last year, 111, 112 feet. Okay, on an 11 weight. Most guys take an 11, 12 weight fly rod and they can barely do 65 feet and they think they're hot shot fly fishermen. And you, you, you know, with a 12 weight fly rod, you should be throwing the whole 105 feet, you know. Now, do you come across bad days? Like, you know, there's like me as a duck hunter and stuff like that. You know, there's some days where you just can't put the shot on placement. Do you ever go out some days and get really frustrated because? through your fundamentals and everything like something is just not working and you get upset about it yeah it's called old age <laughs> there's days there's days i'll wake up to go fishing with ben and i'm like i should stay home but when i get out on the water once i can get my rhythm back and once my focus is good um a lot of those variables that you know wind and rain and not catching fish i just don't worry about it because if i stick to my foundation We'll catch fish. There's times where we've been out in Sebastian. We can catch a fish for hours. And then all of a sudden, he hooks into five or six snook in a row. Or I'll hook into a Jack Carval or some Spanish mackerel or some ladyfish or something. And one day we were out fishing, and we were on Playa Linda Beach, and I caught ladyfish and ribbonfish. We went over to Eddy Creek. I caught a big Jack Carval. Then we went into some of the canals and caught some tarpon. And then the rest of the guys, we caught like six different species in one day but it's never you know getting on the water and like you know blasting one fish after another it's a lot of work especially out sebastian when you got you know ten thousand other people out there you know boats and and whatnot but we've been finding that those adverse conditions we're able to like go around it go through it and figure out a way of just you know staying focused and not getting frustrated if you fly fish with a guy who says, you know what, fly fishing is, is uh, I need to take a break from fly fishing. Man, don't ever join my Muddy River fly fishing group because if I ever heard anybody talk like that, so help me God, I'd have to have a private conversation and ask you, why is fly fishing frustrating you? Fly fishing is supposed to be relaxing. You're supposed to have fun with it. If you can't have fun with it, then, you know, then maybe you're not fishing with the right guys. You know, yeah. I mean, Ben and I, we eat and breathe and sleep fly tying and fly fishing and and throwing that two-handed fly rod so when you're out there you go out beginning of the day what are you looking for when you read in the water okay we're going to use sebastian as a is a guideline we we're, we're trying to see if we can find uh birds feeding on bait fish we're looking for uh, the mullet swimming up and down the rock lines. 
And then if the water clarity is uh, good enough for us, with polarized glasses, you'll see those snooks uh, right underneath the the rock line in maybe, what, been two to three feet of water? Okay. So if you can see that, then you pretty much can start sight casting to them. Okay. Now, the other cool thing about being over at Sebastian, that when you're fishing on top of the jetty, instead of sight casting to a fish, as you retrieve your fly in the ocean, you can see that fly literally 105 feet away from you, okay? So a lot of times you'll see profiles in the water come up to your fly, and then you can gauge how fast you want to strip in your line as opposed to how slow you want to trip. Now, typically, we do a couple of different ways of retrieving our fly line. We use the stripping basket, and we'll do the traditional, you know, left-handed pulling the fly line into the basket, or like what I do a lot is because I'm throwing so much line out there is I'll do a hand over hand retrieve to create a consistent speed throughout the water. Okay. And then that way I can pull my fly in a little bit quicker um, and try to get more reactionary strikes from some of the fish in the water. And then sometimes I'll go back to a traditional, you know, left-handed retrieve into the stripping basket, you know, like strip, strip pause or, you know, little tiny strips or like a long strip. Um, it depends on, on what we're seeing that day for, for the fishing in that. But even if we don't see any of those green green lights, okay, the birds and then the, the bait fish in that, we know from being out there so much that there's going to be resident fish there year-round, okay? And depending on the conditions, we just we might change up our retrieves and our flies several different ways until we start hooking in the fish. And Ben is the one that's figured out the fluffy fly technique of catching big snook out there. As goofy as that sounds, and anybody wants to you know, say anything about it, hey, his results are unparalleled. Absolutely. So what factors do you consider when selecting a fly for any specific species? Species. That's a good question. If I'm going to answer that like a purist, which I'm not, <laughs> all right, it, it, it's either like for me and Ben, it's like, you know, we like throwing big flies. Okay, we believe that big fish eat big bait, okay? And um, I'm looking for a particular movement under the water. So like, I think uh, hollow tide flies are great. The uh, predator type flies, anybody that's ever seen uh, like, like somebody like a Gunner Brammer where he ties a fly called the chosen one. These flies in the water have such a unique undulation that it looks like you have a live bait fish on, on your leader, okay? And I think that if more guys would use flies like that down here, they would increase their successes. Like you've got your deceivers and your clousers and all these other classic patterns that have had a high level of success, but everything evolves into a whole different generation, okay? So for me, I like an ultra-fast action spay rod, okay? Something that, that's, that flexes at the tip, has a strong middle section, strong butt section, where I can pull heavy flies and heavy line off the water. But then when we look at talking about flies for, for saltwater fishing and like in big bass, these hollow tubed or hollow tight type flies where they trap a pocket of air in there once they get wet. And then as you're stripping it through the water, it, it looks like it's a, like a zero spook. Is that about right, Ben? You know, it has a movement like a zero spook, like a... If you've never seen the book that uh, Bob Popovich wrote uh, many years ago, 
you know, this guy put like a, a lip on the front of his fly, which looks like using a crankbait or something that you use for bass fishing. So he just applied that to, to fly fishing. Okay. I'll take and um, I'll put little spinners, little spinner blades, and I'll put it on the shank of the hook and I'll build my fly on top of it. Next thing you know, it, I got my little single blade fly or single blade uh, spinning on the back of my fly. So you talk about a bigger bait for bigger fish. Do you also, I, I hear controversy of different guys that talk about that. They say they're going to throw a bigger lure to try to catch bigger fish. But do you also feel like you are limiting the selection on the size fish that you are catching? I, I agree with that. I would rather throw a big, gigantic freaking fly all day long with the possibility of hooking into a 45-inch snook than to sit there and put something smaller on because my ego can't handle the fact that I have to work all day long and not catch nothing. And then to justify me going out to my buddies or like some guys when they go fishing, they're like, oh, honey, look at the fish I caught. I had to catch something. I would rather fish all day long, not catch a damn thing, knowing that there's going to be a big monster snook eating my big fly. Because when I hook into that fly, that's going to be the fish of a lifetime. And I've already caught my personal best out there on a bigger fly. And it was actually one of his fluffy flies that was uh, in the 6 to 8-inch range. What in, is in your personal best? Uh, 29 and a half inches. What was it? 29 and a half inches. No, the, the species of fish? Oh, it was a snook. Yeah. Well, that's um, right in the, the legal biggest, range, too. Yeah. Um, biggest tarpon I caught, um, on the spay rod was, uh, 38 or 40 inches, you know, one of the ditch, ditch type fish. Um, the bear Monday we caught on the spay rods. I also caught two of them at the same time. Um, what do you think those weighed a piece? Like 10 pounds a piece or something around there? That was fun to drag in. Oh yeah. And then as I was pulling in the two bear Monday with the spay rod, I had a third fly on the end of the, the, the leader, and I had one come up and try and whack it as we were getting them, you know, getting them to pull in. Uh, the next goal I set for myself was I want to go after a Goliath grouper on my, on my 15-foot two-hander. Okay. Now, I'll say this, Matt, to, to what the question you asked. I have, and I have witnesses, caught a 9-inch bass on a 10-inch worm. Yeah, I've got single pattern flies that I've tied out of like taking three strands of Chanel. Oh no, that's and, deadly. Okay, I know that's got to be deadly. And then, and then what you do is you kind of like braid the Chanel and then you whip it at the end. I've got pictures at home where I've got like an eight inch Chanel single worm fly, where the bass is two inches shorter than the length of the fly. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I've had crappie hit stuff this big. Okay. Which that's about what? Three and a half, four inches? This is like, uh, what's this about? Five, six inches? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say, I can confer that's not yeah. three inches. Yeah. <laughs> So, we've talked a lot about the technique of fly fishing and how you guys fly fish. Let's talk about a little bit about fly tying and line selection. Fly tying 
and line selection. Okay, all right, so here's, we're gonna go with the line selection first. All right, say most guys use an eight weight fly rod, okay? There's a lot of controversy on what type of line you should use, whether it's a double taper or if it's a level fly line or if it's a weight forward floating. Down here in Florida, um, your best bet's to go with a weight forward floating line, okay? Then if you're gonna fish the beach in salt water, you can go with like a sink tip line or an intermediate line, okay, uh, to get a little bit deeper down. Then I have a line that I like using in Sebastian that sinks at eight inches per second. It's a heavy head, and it's integrated into an intermediate running line. So when you're fishing the water and you're constantly getting your line thrown into the rocks because of the waves, you go with, like, say, that sink tip line or an intermediate line, and it just goes right below the waves, and now you can save yourself from getting tangled in the rocks, okay? Um, if you have an eight-weight rod and you want to throw big, bulky flies into the wind, start throwing a nine- and ten-weight forward floating tarpon line on that rod, okay? Before you look at me like I'm on crack and you're going, well, why would I overline my rod? The only reason you're going to overline your rod, say one or two line sizes, is to get that heavier head out the tip of the rod, okay? So if you got more weight, on your your say your 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 fly line and you're throwing something six eight inches long okay you're gonna need that extra weight in your cast and then you better start practicing that double haul to get that rod to load your line system and leader system in the fly and then it chucks it out easier okay uh, if you look at guys that fly fish for Mike pike and muskie and stuff like that those guys are experts and if and they're throwing 12 inch flies they're not going to be doing six or seven you know false casts before they get back out in the water but the bottom line is this whatever you're going to use put the time into your cast and into that like 30 minute day workout okay if some guy tells you you know we're going to use me as an example if you got an eight weight rod and i'm telling you put a 10 weight line on you're having problems I guarantee if I spent five minutes with you, you wouldn't have any problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first time out at, what, I think it was Titus told me, he was watching me cast, watching me cast. He took a reel out of his uh, backpack, put it on my rod, boom, I was out of there. Yeah. So I ended up, I think, buying that line from yeah. him, and that's what I use now. Yeah, because when he initially got his spay rod, or his two-hander, he went with a 10-weight line. Okay, but you can still throw it on that long rod. But as soon as I watched him cast, I'm like, man, that line's just not going out there. He should be throwing 105 feet. Pulled that reel out, and it had a 12, a number 12 line, and a weight forward floating, and he was throwing the whole line. So gear to me is critical, okay, between your fly line and your reel and your backing and your rod. If all of that stuff's not balanced and you don't know how to do it, try and find somebody that can, you know, take you under his wing and say, hey, let me, let me watch you cast for five minutes, all right? He struggled that whole morning, and I couldn't take it no more. And then after that, he used that line and that reel all day long, and you caught, uh, you caught sea trout, right? Yeah, he caught some sea trout that day. But something as simple as just that change right there will make your, your casting difference. Like how many guys go saltwater fly fishing and they don't even wipe down their fly line throughout the day of casting? Do you guys? Yeah, do it builds you, up the salt on it. Right. You do, wipe you, it all down. do you wipe it down? Yes, sir. Yeah. 
See how never thought of that before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, The salt builds up on it, and as it goes through them guides, it actually the line isn't as slick, and it doesn't Mm -hmm. slide through your guides properly. Right. And then here's another thing: is we're talking about filing. I I used to represent a company in China no more, and I and I don't because we had eight or nine rods in a in a roll break. Okay. So if anybody was wants to use an Avantech type fly rod. You know, you're better off going with Orvis, Sage, or somebody else because it's just not worth the, the aggravation, and their customer service is terrible. So their fly line, I helped develop a tarpon surf beach line for the longer rods. The problem with that line is, yeah, you got a 50-pound core. It's like under 20 bucks. okay? It's super affordable. But the problem is when you fish in salt water all day long, it gunks up, and then as you're stripping, as you're stripping it through your finger, you start cutting your finger on it, and then the distance decreases. Okay, I use uh, my the scientific angler's uh, running line that I have integrated into my 25 foot shooting head. You can throw that stuff all day long, and it doesn't slow down through the guides, and it's all based because it has a better, harder coating on the fly line. Okay, so when we're talking about fly line. If you don't care about your gear like I do, go ahead and buy the cheap stuff, okay? But don't sit there and cry like a little baby because you're not throwing 105 feet, okay? Or or you're running into problems with your 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 fishing ability, okay? Uh, Scientific Angler has a 100-pound core fly line that I'm going to buy for the Goliath Grouper, you know, challenge, okay? Um, uh, guys that use a six-weight line, okay? Don't be afraid to overline it or underline your your fly line on your conditions, okay? Uh, then we talk about rods, okay? You've got rods that are called like a medium fast action, which most guys prefer because they don't have to be good casters to to get that rod to load and, and throw line. Then you have rods that are like super stiff and, and super, super fast like I like, okay? But the better the better casting ability you have, the better your gear should be. Okay, because you're going to all reach a point where whatever gear you're using right now, your skill level is going to be way above the technology that you have in your hand. And then once you upgrade to a nicer rod and reel and line, all of a sudden your fishing is just going to be totally different. Now, you talk about different rods having, uh, you know, your fast action. You're talking about your medium fast and, you know, your stiffer rods and stuff. Do you prefer and what is the advantages and disadvantages of having a more flexible or a more stiff line? Okay. So in down here, because it's so hot, we want to try to have the most durable fly line we can get our hands on. Okay. What will happen is if you're using uh, a freshwater fly line, when it's 102 heat index, it's going to be like spaghetti. Okay. It'll, it'll tangle easier if you're fishing the salt water. It'll get gunked up real good. The stiffer saltwater lines that are designed for, like, extreme heat, those are way better to, to put on your rod and reel for fly fishing, whether you're fishing for bass or you're fishing the saltwater. I would just as soon go with a saltwater line over, like, a freshwater line for those reasons, okay? And then if my line's been sitting on my reel for a long time, I'll pull all the fly line off, and then I'll start stretching it to get the coils out yeah. so i seen one thing on this what's list that, that we kind of passed through earlier okay. um what is the grosta nugget the grosta nugget is a joke fly it started out as a joke basically what i did is i wanted to make a fly 
that would pop under the water in, in bright sunny days. So I was looking for something that when the sun hit it, it made it look like a little light bulb. So oh, and that was that was the and dollar that, store, and that's the yeah. dollar that's okay. the Dollar General fly. Okay, okay, but then I didn't want to call it the Dollar General fly and have those guys come after me and go, "Oh, geez, you know, you're using the company name on our on your yeah. on your goofy little fly pattern there." But it, it turned out to be something that, um, like I say, it's got 13 species on it and fresh in salt water. And uh, when I showed it to Bob Clouser, he was like, "You know, that's that's a really dandy looking little fly you got there, giant boy." Yeah. So, so the, 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 to finish the question on the fly tying, all right, I'm, Ben and I are the kind of guys that when we tie something, we want something big. We want something that moves water. We want something that when a predator fish sees it in action, that it's just going to hit it out of just natural instinct of, of being aggressive, okay? Some guys, they'll, they'll, they'll use a fly, and they're like, Oh, I'm just going to use it this way, and, and, you know, it's just so pretty looking. I don't have time for that. But I would take the ugliest freaking fly, throw it on my rod, and, and I'll use every retrieve that I could possibly think of to hook fish on it. And sooner or later, I'm going to figure out what that fish wants that particular day with that fly, and I'll stick with it the whole day. Don't let anybody tell you. Like, don't ever listen to anything that I would tell you without getting out on the water and trying it yourself, okay? Because there's a lot of guys that will tell you, you know, uh, you can't use this hook to tie this fly with. Well, why not? Okay, well, it's too big. Well, why? Why are you yeah. asking so many questions? I get a lot of guys mad at me because they're like, well, why do you keep asking questions? Because I want to know what goes through your head, okay? I'm pretty simple. I'm a fisherman. I'm not a, I'm not a fancy tire Okay, I want to go out and catch fish. All right, I make a sink a worm fly out of freaking craft tubing from the Dollar Tree. Okay, I take it on a one eight ounce bass hook, and it's like a tube fly. Okay, um, I call it the Purple Rain. All right, and uh, if we had a picture, I would post it. But basically, what I did is I looked at what guys would catch bass on in a soft plastic and i'm like well when i went to go you know shop at the dollar tree they've got this craft tubing that comes in like 30 50 foot you know spools of it and you can basically make barracuda flies out of it okay so what i did is all i did is i took like a barracuda pattern where you can run uh, a stinger hook through the middle and then i put flash on the end of it and then i got guys that are using it on conventional tackle catching bass and, and I've caught bass on it, uh, tarpon on it. I haven't caught any snook yet, but, you know, it's not a traditional kind of a fly, okay? Um, if you're throwing an eight-weight rod and your line's not balanced, don't think you're going to start throwing EP-fibered flies for 100-pound tarpon on it because you're going to have trouble with it. Uh, how many guys do you know use a shrimp pattern fly and it's got that little fan on, on, the, on the end of the hook. Take that pair of scissors and chop that stupid, goofy little tail off because even in 10-mile-an-hour wind, you'd be lucky to get out 35 feet in the water. And I got guys that I've fished with over, over in Titusville where they're throwing these big shrimp patterns on an eight-weight rod, and they're like, well, geez, you know, I'm tired. Well, what are you tired from? 
well, I'm throwing this big fly. Then when you when you find out, okay, eight weight line, you know, if you're throwing big flies, your butt section on your leader should start at 50 pounds. So the fly line transfers into the leader, then it turns over your fly. Oh, well, geez, that's too heavy for an eight weight. Okay, well, then have fun casting in the wind, buddy. Okay, you use a 20, 30, 40 put, uh, pound butt section, and you don't taper that correctly. Lefty Craig came out with a formula that's decades old on how to tie your own leaders. Okay, buy four or five spools of monofilament and learn to tie your own leaders, and I guarantee you, you'll cast into the wind, you'll take the biggest flies in the fly box, and you'll chuck them out there and start catching fish. But if you don't do it that way, then you'll have problems. So if I tie something smaller, okay, um, you know, I'm going to have to look at the species I'm going to because I'm not going to use the same fly on, on every species. But since we like catching big snook out in Sebastian, we're trying to come up with bigger type flies. <laughs> so showing this big old soft turtle. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Soft shell. I mean, that was a. We'll get all these pictures. You send me these pictures. I'll get them uploaded yeah. before we publish this episode. We'll definitely get them out there. So you you know what I mean? Now, when you brought that thing in, did you think that you're going to break your rod? No, I actually thought it was a bass at first coming. Come <laughs> yeah. He literally sucked that fly down mm -hmm. like a bass would. Well, well here, here's, here's another example, fellas. How many guys like to fly fish or bass? Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. How many guys have you heard losing bass because, you know, oh, geez, I'm, I, I only use like an eight-pound tippet because I'm a purist, okay? Let me tell you something. We, we fish in an area with freaking lily pads and, 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 and hydrilla, okay? When I fly fish for bass, it's a, it's a straight piece of 20-pound mono. Let me tell you, when I am, like, throwing for bass, top water, and mm -hmm. I'm not throwing lily pads, yeah. I'm usually throwing a frog, and I am throwing 40-pound braid, because I know that they're going to grab it. They're going to drag it down deep into the weeds. They're going to drag it into the logs. And quite frankly, I'd rather bring the log to the boat and unhook it than lose that $10, $11, $12 frog. We, it, it, when we talk about leaders, okay, so, <laughs> so getting back to Sebastian real quick, all right, um, we don't normally carry a net with us, okay, because when we do hook in the snook, we're using pretty heavy leaders, okay? We'll start from 60-pound uh, butt section down to 50, down to 40, and then to, say, another piece of 60, okay? But we're not fishing in an area where we're typically going to get snagged and have to break off the line to, to you know, get our, um, try and get our flies back. So when we hook into a snook, we just go right to the fly line. And we hand over hand retrieve, and we pull them straight up off the rocks, pull them up over the railing, take the hook out, and then send them back into the water. If it's a real big fish, then I'll walk down the jetty into the beach and then release the fish that way. But, like, when we fish for bass and stuff and peacock bass, man, our leader system's heavy. My, with, with my new rod, that Sage Igniter, holy cow, I, I start with a piece of 80 pound butt section then i go down to 60 then i go to 50 then i go to 40 and then i go to another piece of 60 because that's my shock leader so if i do hook in the fish like i did the last time um anybody can grab that line pull that fish vertically right out of the water and 
and boom, he's back in the water again. I'm not a light tippet guy because we're not setting records. We're trying to catch fish. Yeah. Okay. So all these guys say this. Well, you know, I, I'm only going to use 10 or 12 pound test because, you know, I want to catch more fish. Okay, buddy. Well, then don't go pissing and moaning when you start losing a lot of your flies and you hook a nice fish and then you lose it because that tippet hit the rocks and it was just the amount of the right amount of pressure to break your tippet and now you just lost a fish of a lifetime. We, we set up our, our two-handed fly rods as if we're fishing for 200-pound tarpon, okay? And we don't lose fish to light tippets. We're not losing fish because our hooks are dull. I mean, like this little fluffy fly, you know, you, you, what are you tying these on, a 5 aught on some of them? Yeah, like, a, like this one's on a 3 aught. okay? So this one here will catch just about anything that's in the water, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, here's another thing, fellas. When we're tying flies, you got to look at the materials. Do you want to have a fly that catches fish, or do you want it to look pretty? Okay, and then some materials will hold water more once they get wet, and then when you go to pull it out of the water, you're like, oh, well, geez, I can't cast it because it, it, it's holding water like a sponge. Okay, well, then switch your material out, and the next thing you know, you've got a fly that you can pull out of the water really easy and chuck it. The benefit of using a two-handed fly rod, which I hate to be redundant and go back to it, is you can take these six and eight inch long flies that are real big and bulky, and when you go to pull that line out of the water and it goes to extend on the back cast and kind of like flicks the water off, you're generating so much line speed you can't do it with a nine-foot fly rod. So the benefit of that long spay rod gives you the ability to use bulky flies that would hold water, and then by the time your forward cast starts going in motion, you just took half the weight of the water retention out of the fly, and now you're back in the game. I don't know if anybody ever broke that down like that before. No, definitely no. not. Like, I could go through every single fly in your box and basically tell you before you start casting, okay, on this day you're going to have trouble throwing this. Okay, and then if you show me your leader, and then I look at your leader setup, oh, yeah, you're definitely going to have to change this for that. Little tiny flies, you, you can go like a straight piece of mono or fluorocarbon. You start going in the bigger flies, and you're going to be, you know, trying to make a more delicate cast. We finesse cast a 15-foot fly rod with, with six and eight-inch flies like a guy would be for trout. Right. So we've got five fishermen gathered around one table. There's got to be some tails. I tell you, I tell you what the most intense fishing day I've ever had using a two-hander is when Ben and I and Derek and Kevin went to Osceola Outback Adventures, where they do the the Bear Monday trips. You know, where they always promoting the girls in the bikinis and the big boobs and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the best way to promote. That's right. It is certainly. If we we had a chance to fish with Miss Bear Monday, and she was a true doll. So, anyways. I'm never the kind of guy that fishes with you that says, man, I'm done, I'm, I'm done pulling for today. Well, in three hours, three and a half hours of fishing with these guys, the last fish I caught, I was like, man, I'm done pulling because it was fish after fish after fish after fish. I mean, 
Ben would hook up on a fish, then Derek would hook up on a fish, then Kevin's hooking up on a fish, and then I'm hooking up on a fish. And I'm sitting there pulling on that two-handed fly rod going, man, I'm getting tired. And I could fish 10, 12, 14, 16 hours and make 2,000 casts in a day, but we were hooking into so many big fish out at Osceola Outback that that was probably the best fishing day of, of my of my life with a two-handed fly rod. So what the heck is a barramundi? A barramundi is an Australian-born fish that um, it's kind of like a largemouth bass, a snook, and a tarpon all rolled into one. They got super sharp gill plates, and they were made for fly fishing, okay? There's only two places in America where you can go and catch a barramundi, and from where we live at in Okoye and Winter Garden, uh, how long did it take us to get over there? About 45 minutes? Okay. So typically, here in the state of Florida, you got a spot, depending on where you live at, you can either get there in an hour or, like, we had two guys from Tampa come all the way down to fish with us and the day that we were out on our trip. And you can use spinning tackle. You can use your bait caster. Man, if you can use a bait caster on those things, man, you better be prepared because don't be using some little dinky bait caster because these fish pull hard and they they jump out of the water and they've got fish as large as, what, 20 pounds out there? Okay, so it's no joke, okay? And if you get a group of four guys or more, instead of 275 apiece, you can get down to, like, 240, okay? But for anybody that's never caught a bear Monday, you'd have to spend 10 grand and go to Australia to catch them. And then the barramundi, they're so popular in Australia, it's like bass fishing here. It's, it's as popular as bass fishing here in America, okay? Except those fish over there get to be like 100 pounds, Oof. okay? But I kid you not, my buddy Derek Hoon's master taxidermy in Okoye, Florida, was using a six-weight. And the guide says, man, you know, normally we tell people to use a nine or ten-weight. Well, he's an exceptional fly fisherman, and he lost count after, what, 50 fish? Yeah. I kid you not. <coughs> okay. Um, some of the coolest things that, that I've had to experience with Ben is, um, you know, hooking into some tarpon when, when you got to combat 12-foot alligators over in Merritt Island. It, it ain't no joke. You know, we've caught koi carp, you know, those little orange colored carp and orange and white and stuff like that call uh, them what they are they're giant goldfish giant goldfish okay <laughs> well my buddy Derek and i we've caught probably more giant goldfish on a fly rod than anybody around here because we live close to a lake that has them and um you know ben's worked for the city of okoy for a long time and he's you've probably seen what over 100 of them over there you know and and they're not that hard to catch on a fly rod well, we're going to have to go fish with them this weekend to catch giant goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in that. I have a fly pattern that is perfect for that. Okay, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but grass carp and koi, if you don't have that fly in front of their face, like about six inches or so, um, if it's any further than 10 or 11 inches, they'll turn away and swim. They won't touch it. But if you, if you notice carp that are tailing in the water and they pick their head up to swim away, if you got that fly in the right spot, they'll take it every single time. Hmm. So, what is your most memorable catch? The bear Monday with him. Yeah. 
because because it's a, a fish that you normally can't go and catch unless you go pay, okay? Um, it was one of my bucket list fish that I wanted to do on a two-hander. And right now, Ben and I are the only guys in America that have caught Bear Monday on a two-handed fly rod. So what do you got left for bucket list fish? Uh, I've been playing with the idea of going after a Goliath grouper with the two-handed fly rod. Okay, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to run 100-pound braid to 100-pound fly line to 100-pound mono to a big-ass fly in a boat. And when we hook this big monster, the guy who's running the boat's going to punch it so we can keep that dopey bastard from going straight down into the water, and I can pull him sideways. If I can pull that big Goliath grouper sideways and take away all his, his energy from going straight down, then I can do it on the, the two-hander. But, of course, fellas... That's easier said than done. Yeah, so that's yeah. quite a goal. Okay. Yeah, first, you got to get it to bite it. First, then I, yeah. you got to get well, through it. The, the thing is, I didn't want to catch like a three or 400 pound Goliath grouper on that kind of setup because, you know, it's 1200 and something dollar rod. I don't want to have some stupid fish break in it. Okay. Right. But, you know, I've been kind of playing with the idea of like, say, anything from 50 to, say, 150 pounds. I think I can handle that. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But in the meantime, you know, we're still going to go after peacock bass. Oh, uh, clown knife fish is something I want to get on the two-handed rod. Uh, Paku. See, we went down there a while back, but when the water level was so low, we, we had a hard time catching peacocks there. But I tell you what, I totally believe, like, the patterns that Ben ties up and the stuff that I tie up and another buddy of ours, um, I, I believe we're going to get the clown knife fish and the Paku on the two-hander uh, in 2021. That's a good goal. And then yeah. whatever else we can get. By the time I get done with this whole thing and I can't throw a two-hander no more, I want to be, be one of the guys that catches the most fish on a two-handed fly rod. Okay? I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, geez, you know, that's a salmon rod. You know, you're only supposed to use that in rivers. You know, <laughs> yeah, go peripoke that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> okay. So, I man, I think we pretty much covered everything we're going to cover tonight. So, uh, at the end of every episode, we'd like to do the Under Pressure Outdoors Tip of the Week. And uh, I'll start this off by saying practice, practice, practice. And it goes so much further than just practicing your cast for fly fishing. We've talked about it in the past. Uh, when it comes to taking the shot on an animal, you practice at the range, you dry mm -hmm. fire at home. Uh, but it, it, even if you're not fishing with a fly rod, standing in the backyard with conventional tackle, casting in a five-gallon bucket, that accurate cast is going to make all the difference in the world. John, what do you got? What I got is this. If you're a fly guy, learn to tie your own flies. Learn to tie your own leaders. Learn how to do your own loop-to-loop connections, okay? Because when, when you have somebody else do it and it malfunctions, you know, you're going to be pissed at them. If it happens to you, then you're the only one to blame. But I tell you what, though, the reward of catching snook or big bass or tarpon on gear that you rig up yourself, I've seen it with Ben and a lot of the guys I fish with that do all their own rigging. And I tell you what, there's not a bigger form of satisfaction you can get by catching fish on something that you tie on your own 
when everybody else is laughing at you, going, oh, look, they crossed the nugget there. They don't, that's the ugliest fly I've ever seen. Well, guess what? 100 tarpon in a row, buddy. You know, all these other species look, look like Bob Clouser, you know, decades ago. When he came out that Clouser minnow, you know, guys were like, oh, look at that. Well, now look at him several decades later, you know. So that's what I like about the fly fishing. Practice, 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 like you said. Learn to tie your own knots, okay? Lubricate those knots. I don't care if you got to use hand sanitizer or your own spit. And then get out there and fish and fish with guys that know what they're doing. Matt, um, my biggest thing that I would have to say is don't be afraid to ask questions, you know. Find these older generations and ask you, ask them, uh, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not throwing right, you know, something's wrong, I'm, I don't know if I'm off today or what's going on, and it could be like what you said earlier, throw a different weight line on that rod, and then that could change everything. So you're, you're going to learn over a long period of time if you're doing it by yourself, but you can get pretty good pretty quickly if you listen to other people. You'll accelerate that learning curve in literally like a five-minute window. When, when, like when Ben was throwing that 10-weight line, and I pulled that reel out with the with the tarpon line on it. Within literally five minutes, he went from barely throwing line to where you know he's got a hundred and ten foot cast going. Jordan, what do you got? Yeah, damn Matt, don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> I was gonna say, don't be afraid to ask to to get with somebody that knows what they're doing. Seek that mentorship. Yeah, yeah. Find somebody that can take you under their wing and kind of teach you what it's in and out and go and don't pry but listen to what they have to say because they point out stuff that is very important when you're just fishing with them compared to when you're asking them questions don't don't be afraid to let them critique you and your your gear and your you you have to have an open mind about it yeah and you know that's really where we got our start here because if you look at a lot of social media, if you follow any of the pages on the Facebook, for example, you want to ask a question, and there's so many people that want to hit you back with, well, hit the search feature, or what? I'm like, it's just a simple answer, you know, and, and I hate that, because we are trying to bring more people into this sport, because the more people that, that come into the outdoors, into fishing and hunting, and other that those funds go back through Pittman Robertson, Dingle Johnson, they go back to fund what we love to do. I understand, you know, there's only so many deer to shoot, only so many fish to catch, but mm-hmm. let's be real. There aren't that many people fishing where we really have to worry about it. Um, we, we started the Muddy River Fly Fishing Group on Facebook several months ago with just about, say, six core members, okay? And because of, like, the Bear Monday trip and catching peacock bass and snook and all these other multitude of species that Ben and I catch on a two-handed fly rod, now I've got guys from Ireland, Scotland, Australia that are part of our group, all right? And, you know, I am not the end-all to be-all with a two-handed fly rod. As much as I joke about it, but I tell you what, what I know works, and I know that when, when I got Ben on that two-handed fly rod and helped him with his casting. He's one of the best fishermen around, buddy, you know. But I tell you what, you've got real teachers, and then you've got what I call pretend teachers, 
okay? They can sit there all day long and tell you, oh, I can do this and do that. Well, you know what? We're out there every weekend fishing, okay? Pictures don't lie. Eyewitness statements don't lie. If I had a GoPro, I'd GoPro the crap out of that two-hand fly rod like there ain't nobody's business. But I tell you what, anybody that ever needed help with their cast and all that stuff, and they're like close to Orlando or whatnot, you know, they can come out and, and fish with us, and within five minutes I'll have them chucking like a freaking casting champion, you know. And even for me, I ask questions. You know, I talked to Dave Olson, you know, 13 years ago about the two-hander, and he gave me a set of uh, uh, rules to go by, you know, basic fundamentals, and I grew beyond that, okay? So now I'm one of the guys to actually help people now. Yeah. But I think I think we definitely need to uh, need to look into trying to get in, into a trip with you guys doing some fishing. So, John, tell us about the Muddy River Fly Fishing Group where these people can find you, ask you these questions. Anybody anybody that's on social media, you can go to Facebook and uh, ask to join the Muddy River Fly Fishing Group. I've got some of the best fly tires in the state as members. I've got some of the best fly fishermen and guides that are members of our group. And uh, all they got to do is just uh, click on that group and ask to join and ask one of the questions about how long you've been fly fishing. And I happen to be one of the administrators, so I'm usually the one that approves everybody, you know, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, the only thing I ask is uh, if somebody's holding a fish the wrong way, you know, don't be a freaking catch and release Nazi because I will light you up. You know, I, I, I don't say anything negative about anybody on social media, okay? And if somebody's holding a fish the wrong way or, you know, like with the tarpon and snook, you know, uh, what, is it really, what does it really mean when you're sitting there telling somebody, well, you shouldn't hold a snook that way or you shouldn't hold a tarpon that way, okay? Because if you're going to do that on my group, then go to another group and do it because we don't, we don't talk to people like that. Right. Okay. But it's a very wholesome group. Okay. And we support fishing and fly fishing, but primarily fly fishing in that. Here's an example. We posted pictures of tarpon that we were pulling out. And uh, I had a guy comment and he says, you know, you're supposed to keep them in the water. And I says, well, I'll remember that next time a 12 foot alligator is trying to eat me or my tarpon. So by pulling that fish out of the water and walking away, like being 15 feet from the shoreline, uh, we're preserving human life, and then once that tarpon gets unhooked, then we're throwing them back. Well, we appreciate you guys joining us again this week. Make sure you're going on Apple Podcasts, leaving us a review. Uh, hopefully you hit that far right-hand five-star button and write something down below. When you guys start writing some reviews, we'll start reading some reviews. Uh, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and then you join the Under Pressure Outdoors, the group, because we got some good stuff going on there uh, and that's all I got to say for that you guys have a great week well we appreciate you inviting us out tonight and and talking about uh, the fly fishing and the two-hander and then uh, that happens to be a picture of one of the the grass the nuggets there we're gonna get you to send send some pictures of those flies and all that stuff and, and we'll get that stuff posted up for we before we let this episode go live so we really appreciate you guys joining us, and, and it's been been a good podcast. Thank yeah. you very much, fellas. We, we appreciate it. We'd love to do it again. So until next week, you guys have a good week.